0: Good morning. Good morning. Um, if you all could please turn with me to Revelation 21. Today I'll be reading Revelation 21 through 22.5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for the words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be taken in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the high high holy city of Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a high, great wall with twelve gates and the gate's twelve agents, on the gates the name of the twelve tribes of the Son of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and its wall. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width, and he measured the city with his rod, twelve thousand stadia, and its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its walls, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, clear as glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second was sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the streets of the city were pure gold, transparent as glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Amali and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light the nations will walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. There will be no need of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and it will reign forever and ever.
1: Good morning. If heaven ain't a lot like Dixie, in the words of Bocephus, I don't want to go Um, as funny as that sounds I I think um, there's a sentiment there that probably rings true with some of us who were raised in a church type culture Uh, we have this skewed view of of heaven the eternal kingdom Um, I don't know about you and what your image of heaven the eternal kingdom was like growing up and it's interesting even those who aren't Christians have a have a view of what heaven or some type of eternal state of bliss is like and and for me it was this really strange weird world well really this wasn't had had any type of biblical mooring at all just um the image that got projected sometimes on on sundays whether intentional or not um mostly from greeting cards and um Christmas scenes that you would see in various things and and it wasn't very appealing, never was still isn't to be very frank um and I think what's interesting is a lot of us, particularly men in particular, um, maybe you're sensitive to that and recognize if that's what the eternal kingdom is i'm that's not real ah, it's nothing real, and you want to pretend like I really want to go there, but ah. It's kind of bland, it's ice milk, it's not real creamy, it's not real good and tasty and like, I'm good, you know, Rocky Road, baby, give me some of that, I want that. It's just kind of bland and not real exciting and... Uh it doesn't really match up with what's in the front end of the book. And it's just not really there. And I think even in, in in songs such as that, there's this sense of if that's kind of what heaven is, it's not it's not like my home here, and this is pretty good. So I don't really want to go there. This is this is good. And I think I think what we need to do as Christians is gather to ourselves the biblical concept of the kingdom because that's how John ends the revelation. Now remember Jesus is giving this to John to show this church to encourage them to not lose heart. Stay faithful. Finish the course. Because there is awaiting you the king that I'm inviting you to look up and see. His kingdom is coming in full. And it's amazing. It's amazing. Some uh, refer to this as creation regained. Creation is lost. But in the end, the king regains creation. And it's better than the first. And then maybe for some of you, you don't even care. You don't give a flip. You're, you're too young. Um, life hasn't smacked you in the face yet. Life has been an ivory and tower that uh, it's been mama's little world. The mama's little world's not bad. I'm not beating down on you. I'm just saying the reality is when we live in mom and dad's little world, life's pretty good sometimes. Not all the time, but sometimes. And so life's good, and we like life. And the idea of that leaving and going to some eternal kingdom is not real appealing because after all, I have no bills. And I have an iPhone, an iPad, a Mac, a car, and school, and it's a pretty sweet gig, and you know, it is. Enjoy it, because ride's almost over, you know? Um, but if you've lived long enough, and I, I wouldn't call myself a savvy veteran by any stretch of the imagination, but I think the longer you live, the more you realize this, 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 was, this just isn't the best. Life will smack you around. And I'm talking as a Christian. I mean, Jesus promised us that, um, that he would save us and redeem us and bring us back to himself. But he also promised us that in this life you will have trouble. And the more of that you taste, I think the more um, you, you begin. I used to hear this growing up in a Christian subculture. Older people talking about wanting to go home. Longing for that day. Oh, that's weird. You're strange. And I wish I hadn't said that because now I get it. You know, I get that a little bit. This is, uh, uh, it's better. It's better. See, I'm, you know, I, I think sometimes you have a, I, you, maybe you, I don't know. I have a tendency to look at the people in the quote, whatever ministry and, you know, they work at the monastery and they chant all day and they read their Bible all day. And, um, I don't, i work I work like you. Um, I have life that smacks me around like you, and you know you have weeks that are tougher than others, and, and the reality is the more of this fallen world you taste, the more you long for what's promised here in Revelation twenty-one. And the good news is we can long for that because it's better than Dixie. It's it's better than than if the home was perfect for you growing up. And there's no baggage. That's behind you. It's better than that. It's worth leaving all that behind for. Because even as good as life may be for some of you. This makes that pale in comparison. And for the church here in Revelation. In particular these seven churches. And then for all of those who come underneath the gospel. Who form together in the kingdom of God, in the church, on this side of eternity, the encouragement for us is lift your eyes. From the battle, from the weariness of the struggle, lift your eyes. Don't lose heart. Your redemption draws near. And so my invitation to you, and this morning, uh, and, and for next week as we look at this passage, and then uh, or the week after that, next week's All Saints Day, and we'll talk about the life of Perpetua, and then we'll move into wrapping up the Revelation, and we will have been 11 months in this book My invitation to you is don't lose heart. Your redemption draws near. And for all the junk you've had to put up with on this side of eternity, this kingdom that is coming in full makes it worth your faithfulness. This passage's purpose is to strengthen the faith and the hope and the resolution. In the words of D. A. Carson, of the church as it faces its ultimate trial. So the kingdom of heaven is is not a place where Christians float around on clouds in the sky. If so, I'm out. That's boring. And it's not. And I say that in seriousness. The kingdom of heaven is not a place in which you and I get to be chunky babies with undersized wings. The kingdom of heaven is not up there and out there somewhere, this ethereal, imaginary place. The kingdom of heaven is not a place where Christians gather for an all-day, every-day, forever worship service consisting of contemporary Christian music. It's not a one-day event, all day, every day. Thank God. I can only handle that for about an hour and a half. Nothing wrong with it. God bless you if you love that. I'm not down in that. I'm just saying that's not it. As good as that may be, I can only handle. Never mind. The kingdom of heaven is a new. It is. It is a new and sinless earth created in the fashion of the beginning prior to the fall. And I had a little note here for myself. Not over a long period of time. Didn't take him a long time to create it in the first place. Don't be an atheist in your worldview. Assimilate a thoroughly Christian worldview in your concept of creation. But we'll um, when you get to the end of chapter twenty, as the great white throne, this second resurrection, where all those who are not in the gospel are coming together. He starts that section by saying, "And the heavens begin to already fade away." I mean, they're already beginning to to just go away. I mean, did you read that? Remember that from last week? And I saw a this is verse 11, I saw a great, a great, a great, a great white throne, a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. And from his presence, earth and sky fled away. I mean, he raises the dead that are not in the gospel to judge them by their works. Remember we said last week, you don't want to be judged by your works. You want to be judged by the righteousness of Jesus. So come in. Come in. Because that's a bad judgment. You don't want to be judged by your works. They don't measure up. Come in to Jesus and have His righteousness be yours. And so from that scene, earth and heaven are, are fading away already. You get to chapter 21 and He says, Then I saw it, the new heaven and the new earth. He's just sort of melting one out and bringing one in. That's amazing. It's Amazing. Took him six days to do it the first time, and looks like it takes him just a short snap. He doesn't need evolution to create. Glory to God. Christian worldview. The kingdom of heaven is a new and sinless earth created in the fashion of the beginning prior to the fall, where God Himself will be among us. And John says He will wipe away every tear from our eyes, death will be no more. There will be no more crying or mourning. There will be no pain because the former things have passed away. Glory to God. It is a new and sinless creation on which we will dwell. And that is astounding. The kingdom of heaven is where the church will forever drink fully from the well of the Holy Spirit, that water of life Jesus promised us. Without any interruption. Here's the deal we debate denominationally over the work of the Holy Spirit. And I, don't, I want all that I can get my hands on. I don't care about a denominational distinction, I want all of the presence of Jesus and His fullness and giftedness, I can stand right now. I need that. And if you don't think you do, you are blinded. You need that. And there's coming a day when you're going to get all that, you can stand. You're going you're to get in front of the, the fire hydrant of the kingdom and He's just going to pour it on you and you're going to get it all and you'll be able to consume it all and enjoy it. I'm a closet charismatic, so sue me. The kingdom of heaven is not where those who treasure, or whose treasure, was in the inferior, will be. It's not a place where people whose treasure was found in inferior things are going to be. They're not going to be there. Those whose treasure was in something inferior to Jesus will be with the evil one and the unholy trinity in the lake of fire. The kingdom of heaven is not where those whose treasure was inferior will be. The kingdom of heaven is where the church will enjoy the full presence of the triune God forever. No need for a temple. No need for a sanctuary. No need for a gathering place because He is the gathering place. And if you know what it's like in the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, hunger and thirst for righteousness, that thirst will be quenched. If you have no clue what I'm talking about, I invite you to the gospel to drink and know what it's like to have a thirst maybe you didn't even realize you had met to no longer try to quench your thirst on sand, but on the living water of of the Spirit of God through the gospel work of Jesus. The kingdom of heaven is the place where kings and nations will dwell in perfect peace and bring what is the Lord's into His capital city. We're not going to do all this today. I'm going to have to come back in two weeks and and, and get more specific. But, But I can't get more specific until some of this lands on you. Now, now, this is where we're going today. Jesus said a lot about this, believe it or not. And and, and it's usually astounding to the student of Scripture uh, for the first time to get a crystallized taste of Jesus' teaching on the kingdom. And, and so what I would just invite you to do is, is I've list, listed some passages for you. Just, this is just a sampling out of Matthew, Okay? This is a sampling out of Matthew. you got three more Gospels to go through. Jesus talks a lot about this coming kingdom. And John is presupposing that these churches know this because they've read Jesus. They've read these messages. They know what the king has taught about. So when he's talking about this eternal kingdom coming, because the old one's fading away and he's brought the new one to bear... They know what it's going to be like because Jesus said so much about it. He did. And so what we're going to do today is is just look at some of what Jesus said. I'm going to do my very best just to let Jesus speak to you today. Because I want you to hear Him talking about Revelation 21 before it was written. So that maybe your, your love of, your enjoyment of Jesus might grow a little bit today. So this kingdom that's coming, that older people, and and I'm learning to be a good older person, which by the way, you need to be like older people. They have wisdom you don't have. Between the age of 13 and 25 is the stupidest time in your life. And the reason, and I'm saying that from experience, the reason is you think you know more than you do and you're capable of functioning without direction, Which makes you a loose cannon. And you do stupid things during that time of your life. Then you look back on it later and go, oh my. So count yourself warned today. Find someone who has gray hair. Saddle up to them and say, teach me. And I promise you life, life will be easier for you. So, for those who would love to saddle up next to someone who's looking forward to home. I want to give you a glimpse of what awaits us through the very words of Jesus about this eternal kingdom. Number one, the kingdom of heaven. It's a place for those who do the Father's work. It's a place for those who do the Father's work. Listen to Jesus at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. Which, by the way, these are some of the most disturbing words of Jesus in the New Testament to me. Okay? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. That's a a stern warning because this is coming on the backside of the Sermon on the Mount. And so Jesus is describing in this message what it is to be a member of the kingdom, this Revelation 21 kingdom that he's bringing to bear, that he's creating and bringing here for us to be in and to dwell on. You know, the Sermon on the Mount begins, Blessed are those, boom, kingdom of heaven, boom, kingdom of heaven, boom. This whole The sermon begins with a crystallized account of the attitudes and characteristics of the people who will make up this Revelation 21 kingdom. And then he goes on to unpack it a little more in that sermon. So he comes to the end of it and he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, not everyone who says, Jesus, your Lord, is going to get in. Which means there's more to faith than a mental belief in some message. Biblical faith is defined as beliefs that lead to transformed actions. Together, faith without works is dead. You cannot have a faith in a Jesus that has no works and get into Revelation 21 kingdom. And going to church on Sunday morning and attending a Bible study, I'm... Pretty sure it doesn't count. We're talking about gospel level work, hands to the plow of the mission of Jesus. Coming to church is part of that, and discipleship in and in community is a piece of that, but those are designed to get your hands gripped onto what Jesus called the plow and not wanting to look back. You're pushing toward His mission. Those are His works. Working toward His mission. So He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name And cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name. And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Jesus, I prophesied. Jesus, I cast out demons. And I did all kinds of works. And I put your name on them. And Jesus' response... To know you. Because the kingdom of heaven is a place that's not just made up of people who work, but people who do Jesus' works. There is a distinction between doing spiritual works and doing the Father's plan that requires spiritual activity. Here's what I mean. Maybe I'm oversimplifying it, but I'm not sure I am. There's an awful lot of debate and books written about what is the mission of the church, and I'm not real sure where I see, I'm not sure there's an awful lot of debate there. Go make disciples of every nation. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teach them to observe everything I have commanded you. Sounds like a pretty good mission statement to me. Sounds like a purpose very clearly articulated. From Genesis 12, Matthew 28. That the works of Jesus' mission, the Father's will, are doing that mission. And everything that falls underneath all those components. And all that spiritual activity is intended to fuel that mission. So that the kingdom of heaven is a place made up of people who did that work. Who's engaged in that work. Whatever that level of work looked like. And, and it, from, from discipling people to helping people grow and understand everything Jesus said. To being one who goes and tells people for the first time and incorporates them into the church. All the things that flow underneath that big picture mission. Those are the people who are in this kingdom, not just people who said, hey, Jesus, I went to the soup kitchen and I fed people and it was a soup kitchen ran by Christians. Am I in? Maybe not. Because that's not necessarily could be, but not necessarily definitive of the mission. It's not just spiritual activity. Is is that landing a little bit? It's spiritual activity that's feeding the mission. Because just because we do work doesn't mean it's necessarily gospel work. If it's gospel-less and spiritual, that makes me personally a wee bit nervous. Because Buddhists do that. Muslims do that. Right? But we are to do activity that that no doubt meets need. That's not the question. The the question is, is it connected to Father's mission of Jesus being made much of among all nations? And if it's not, this passage scares me. So let me say to you, make sure that you're engaged in gospel work. So that the gifts of the Spirit in you are funneling up into God's mission. The kingdom of heaven is a place made up of all those kinds of people at every level, feeding the mission of Jesus globally. Oh, and I say to you, what a great place that's going to be! You know what it's like to be around like minded people? People are just funneling into the same thing and you enjoy it because, dude, we're going the same direction. We're walking in step together. That's a beautiful thing. And then you get somewhere where you're the odd man out how uncomfortable that is. The kingdom's not going to be like that. Everybody who is like, dude... You remember back when we were doing yeah, wasn't that amazing how Jesus we just tell the stories of the kingdom. How we were moving to the mission and the Lord did thing after thing and we're gonna make much of him and enjoy. Hey, let's go tell him. Oh, wait, he already knows. Let's go see him anyway. Face to face. Because we were walking in the same mission to make much of him. Let's go, let's go make much of him together. Let's see him. That's 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 the kingdom's gonna be made up of people like that. You be one of those people. Get in the gospel. Move toward the mission of the gospel. And all your activity, your spiritual activity pointed to that mission. And not only will you be in that kingdom, you'll live a well-lived life. There'll be no regrets in that life. None. Life well spent. So much more we can say there, but we'll bring that up in a couple weeks. Number two. The kingdom of heaven is a place for people from all nations. It's a place for people from all nations. Jesus, Matthew chapter 8. Verse 11 through 13. There is a Roman centurion who comes to Jesus and he needs Jesus to, to help him. And this centurion's faith is strong. He has believed. And he comes and he... He makes much of Jesus by making this incredible statement that Jesus marvels at. Verse 5, Jesus enters Capernaum, and a centurion came forward appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word, and my servant will be healed. For Now, this is the purpose clause. This is why the centurion just said, all you got to do is say it. And he illustrates it with his life. For I, too, am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. To another one, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and and he does it. In other words, I I, I get authority. I have people under me. I say it, they go do it. Jesus, you don't have to come do it. You are definitely under authority. You have the power. All you got to do is say it, and it's done. And (laughs) that's, that's, that's some belief in Jesus, isn't it? That's some trusting in the creator of the universe. When Jesus heard this, he marveled. I can imagine Jesus laughing. Wouldn't it be cool to hear Jesus laugh like right now? That's probably a pretty cool laugh. And he marveled. And, and Jesus says, I don't know what marveled looked like, but I imagine there's some laughter and some sighing and maybe some going, did you see that? He marveled at this centurion and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, With no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from the east and the west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. In this kingdom, it's a place for people from all nations. It's a place for people from all nations. From the beginning in Genesis, the vision of God and His kingdom was that people from all nations on the face of the earth, from the scattering of the nations, that people, representatives from each of those would be in the kingdom. And if you remember back when we started Revelation, Revelation 4 and 5, John gives us, Jesus gives John a vision of what this end baby looks like. And and sure enough, it's been completed. The Great Commission has been done. Great Commission work has been completed. And there before the Lamb are representatives from all nations. Guys, there's 6,000 plus unreached people groups that yet have the gospel preached to them. Who will I send and who will go for me? Some of you in this room, God is going to call to be that one who penetrates that people group for the first time. Oh, what it would look like if each church just grabbed one. If each church in Georgia just grabbed one. Churches be going, there's no more work left to do. We've got to go join them. Somebody's engaging all nations because that, that's the end game. And there are a lot of implications to that. And that's not what today is for. But it's going to look like this ethnically diverse, beautiful thing in which the distinction isn't erased, it's just unified. I'm telling you, I long for the day that here in Floyd County, the church looks like Revelation 21 kingdom, people from that's just here that we can have representatives from from all the ethnicities with one mission, one goal. Walking in step together. The kingdom of heaven is a place, number three, where those who belong to Jesus are gathered to Him. Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells a parable about a field. The kingdom of heaven can be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed seeds among the wheat and went away. So when the Plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go gather them? He said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the weed into my barn. The kingdom of heaven is going to place be a place where those who belong to Jesus are gathered to Him. Guys, the kingdom of heaven will not have people in it who do not belong to the King. Any such concept inside Christianity that talks about the religions being unified under Jesus is a lie from the evil one. The kingdom of heaven is going to be a place where people who found Jesus as their sole treasure will be gathered. There will be no people whose treasure was outside of Jesus. It will be a place where people from all nations have found Jesus as their supreme joy to the exclusion of any other option, and they will be gathered to Jesus to be with Him face to face. The weeds will be gathered and separated, but the wheat, those who love Jesus, the fruitful, are going to be with Him. Guys, there's no such thing as objectless faith. Watch out for teachings that talk about people of faith as if faith is the great unifier between people. I saw um, yesterday early we were cleaning clean the house and and uh, for some friends come over last night and we were we were cleaning and I was watching you know trying to watch little game you know college football preview stuff and I'm vacuuming mopping and doing all the stuff around the house and and we're all pitching in and, and there was this really stupid commercial that came on about faith branded losing weight. And this lady has the, the DVD you can buy in which you, you kind of like, you do your dancing to the contemporary Christian music. And this was the pitch, I'm not even making this up. I'm not, you may have seen the commercial. But it was like this, with, with these methods and faith, you can achieve whatever goal you want. Now the message in that is rotten to the core. Because the assumption is faith is the cure-all. Well, the question becomes, faith in what? There's no such thing as objectless faith. Faith always has an object. You all are very faithful people right now. Because you are with nobody squatting right now holding yourself off the seat by an inch because you don't trust the chair. Maybe you are. I don't know if you are. You are a beast. God bless you. But if you are sitting and you've placed all of yourself down in that chair, your faith has an object and it's blue. There's no such thing as objectless faith. You can't have faith in faith. Faith does not unify people. Faith in Jesus unifies people. And the object of your faith, I hope, is none other than the person and work of Jesus Christ. And in that kingdom, we, us, from all nations, whose object is Jesus, will be gathered together. Guys, I hate to say it, but there aren't going to be Muslims, there aren't going to be Buddhists, there aren't going to be Hindus, there aren't going to be atheists, agnostics. There's not going to be any people who didn't recognize Jesus there. I'm going to give number four. We're going to stop today. Because just enough to chew on. Number four. The kingdom of heaven is a place for those whose treasure is not in this life. This is what I mean when I say there are folks who get it. They've recognized, you know what? That that was cool, but that, that wasn't worth it. That wasn't worth it. I looked so forward to that. And when I got done, it was like, eh. I feel this more and more every year. My wife has commented this year that losses do not affect me as they used to. I like the win. And on Friday night, we stepped on some throats 47 to 3. It was beautiful. Touchdown, Jesus. It's wonderful, it's glorious. And then you come home on Saturday, and then the Holy Spirit University in Athens loses, and then I'm like down for three days. You know, I'm just kidding. Sort of. And and then, and then the Lord's favorite team, housed in Atlanta, loses on Sunday. And it's like I usually don't recover until Friday night. And then it's just like this cycle and cycle, and so... You know what, I begin to notice is that that that's fun, but you know, I just sort of get to the end of it and go, Really? All that emotional hype, and it was okay, but why do I feel empty? I'm just being honest. I mean, that's coming. that You don't understand how sanctification oriented that is, because that's weird for me to say that. Is that not? See? I mean, that's just, and I really mean that. It's kind of like, oh, okay, whatever. Not, I'm not going to miss the game today. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I haven't, I haven't been fully sanctified, but it's in process, okay? And, and the point is, the kingdom is going to be a place for people whose treasure was not in this life. And you know what Jesus is doing for you who bought the gospel and you believed? He's placed his spirit in you and he's begun cleaning you up. And you'll begin to notice this step-by-step progression You take one step forward, two steps back. Then it's two steps forward, one back. Then maybe it's four steps forward, two back. Then maybe it's one step forward, ten back. And there'll be days you want to put your head through a wall because you want to do better, but you can't, and you're trying, and you're struggling, and you're fighting. The reason you do that is because of what Jesus said in matthew thirteen forty four to forty six this is where I want to be, and I'm not there the kingdom of heaven revelation twenty one here's what it's like it's like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and he covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and he bought it. You imagine stealing the illustration from Randy Alcorn man stumbling along through a plowed field and he trips over something. Thought it was a clot of dirt and he kicked it and it was solid and he tripped and he fell. He went back and, well, that wasn't just dirt and he noticed that it was solid. So that's intriguing. And so he started digging. He noticed that there was a chest there. And so he dug and he dug and he pulled up the chest and he opened it. And it was more gold and jewels than he'd ever imagined in his life so what did he do? He dug deeper and he buried it and covered it up so nobody else could find it. He went home and he got a real estate agent. And he sold his house. He sold his cows. He sold his ox, his plow. He he sold his chariot. He or whatever, you know, he sold, he sold everything. And got rid of it. And he went and found the dude and on the field said, Hey man, how you doing? What's up? I mean, that field you got over there. What do you need for that? Okay, sure. Here you go. He gladly paid the price. And he went and dug up the chest. Why? Because there was more there than he could ever imagine. That kingdom that is to come is more than you can even imagine. And the sad thing for many of us, we would willingly sell Revelation 21 for a W on Friday night. That's me. Because a win is so amazing. Do you see how stupid that sounds? See how foolish that is? Wow. This life is so good. I'm going to work 80 hours a week to make as much as I can. Because the dollar can never tank. And I'm going to invest it here. Look at my car. My boat. My two houses. Look. I wear clothes from that store. Not only do I have a Mac, but I have an iPad and an iPhone. I just got iCloud and it's amazing. And Jesus is going, do do you not perceive that that is so much more valuable than this and that's going to fade away? It's going to go with the second resurrection. The kingdom is not going to be made up of people whose treasure was here. So church, let me say to you, don't invest it here. Don't invest it here. Pour it out. Give it away. And pursue Revelation 21 kingdom. Because I promise you that's going to be a place the likes of which we can't begin to imagine. There will be no more losing No more tears. No more hard decisions. And I'm telling you, things that are worthless are not worth buying at the cost of an eternal kingdom. So I'm going to close with this question. What is it that you, I, me, us value more than this Revelation 21 kingdom? What is it? Would you do me a favor? Would you sell it to go get that treasure in the field? And let's lock hands for the vision of the glory of God in the building of the church, local and global, through radical lovers of Jesus, filling His mission up with our very living. Will you join me in that? I promise you we will not be disappointed. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, um, Lord Jesus, You are so incredibly good. Um, your kingdom is so much better than we can imagine and i jesus just you know, i'm having trouble articulating exactly what i want to ask you for i can i can in my mind see it almost better than i can say it but would you make a people here that looks like a bunch of people striving for, longing for, and desiring the coming kingdom in word and in deed. Father, the image in my mind is a group of people connected to each other with arms outstretched toward You, not just in song, but in labor and work. For you, Jesus. Not for some unnamed spiritual goal, but for Jesus and His kingdom. So Father, would you build us in unity like that? Would you build us in work like that? Would you call, would you cut off anything that isn't unified under the mission of Father, Son, and Spirit? Spirit, would you do, would you do spiritual surgery this morning in our hearts to move our desires forward a few steps toward the kingdom? Because some of us walk in and we just finished taking some steps backward because our desires are so here. And so, would you just help us to take a few forward and? have our desires planted in that kingdom for a little bit today that is to come? Would you take our failures and redeem them? Would you take our our lessons and build on them? May the kingdom today taste a little closer and a little sweeter, more so than it ever has. And would you captivate us with that? And so as we sing that in that we can make much of you for a little bit today so lead us in singing to you jesus and make that acceptable